And please be seated. Well, happy St. Patrick's Day, sisters and brothers in Christ. Uh, it sounded like a broken record, but welcome to another Sunday with snow. Isn't it just fantastic? Um, but I do want to uh, welcome you. I also want to bring up something, which is uh, maybe, I don't know if... Uh, um, if we did this at the announcements or not, but I just want to thank those who, uh, who went through the hard work of, of kind of putting together um, all of the, the, the kind of art that you see around you. Uh, this is Don Neiman and Josh Neiman and Rachel Foster and uh, Misty Soderstrom and Tim Cope, and there's probably others. Um, but thank you for that work. This is all kind of, I mean, it's beyond me to be able to do these sorts of things. We didn't buy this stuff. Uh, this was kind of painted, if you will. Uh, people can actually do that, apparently. And um, so, but I just Thank you all for the way that you kind of, one of the things that, uh, again, that, that St. Patrick, if I can on this day, one of the things that he did was he used art oftentimes as a way to minister and as a way to be a gift and as a way to talk about um, um, the beauty and the creation of Jesus Christ. And so thank you for the ways that you guys have helped to usher us into that uh, with the work that you have done. Well, this morning, we are continuing in our look at building for God's kingdom. And in order to do that today, we're going to look at a parable um, given by Jesus, one you're probably familiar with, that comes to us from the 20th chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. So let me invite you to hear these words. Jesus says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. So Jesus said to them, you also, or the landowner said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired, about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let us pray. God, you spoke in so many parables, so many stories rooted in the culture of your time. And we pray that you would help us 
in our own day and in our own culture to understand what these stories have to say to us and the ways in which we can build for your coming kingdom. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So here we have a parable, again, one that you're probably somewhat familiar with, where Jesus is saying, as he describes this parable, that it is what the coming kingdom is going to look like. Now, it may be helpful to note that this parable comes right after Jesus has had a conversation uh, with a young rich ruler. Maybe you remember him and he wanted to know what he needed to do to have eternal life. And, and Jesus told him eventually that he should just sell everything that he had and then come follow him. Now the rich young ruler, of course, was not very happy to hear that. I did think about it this week that, that on my very last Sunday here, this is going to be the sermon I'm going to preach is on that passage. Thank you, Sharon, for appreciating that. Um, And then after this particular parable is when the mother of James and John are trying to talk or is trying to talk Jesus into uh, having James and John sit at the right and the left of Jesus when it comes to his coming kingdom. In other words, people were struggling, even back then, even in the presence of Jesus, to understand exactly what the kingdom of God was going to look like. And so, Jesus told them this parable. There was a landowner, and he needed some workers, so he went out. And he found some people early in the day, and sure enough, they went out and they started working. And then the landowner needed more workers, so he went out at 9 o'clock, and then he went out at noon, and then he went out again at 3 o'clock, and then he went out all the way until 5 o'clock. And some have wondered, who were those who were still left? We don't know, but more than likely, maybe it was those who were lazy, Perhaps it was those who were infirm, who were handicapped. Maybe it was those who were older. And so, 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 so owners didn't want to pick them up because they were afraid they weren't going to do any work. And so they came in and they worked for a whole hour. It's kind of like by the time they finally got to the vineyard, the work was already done, right? This is what I tend to do, right? You make sure that work is done. And, and, and then I say, Megan, can I help in any way, right? This is, quite frankly, it's genius, really. So maybe they were the smartest ones. So then they come out and they go to pay them all, right? And so they come out and they begin to pay them. And they give the people who had only been there an hour, gave them a denarius. And then they go on. And and by the time they reach the early morning risers, because this is what early morning risers do, they were, of course, excited because they thought, well, we are going to make bank on this. This is going to be incredible. And then they only receive the one denarius and they grumble. And unsurprisingly so. Who of us wouldn't grumble at that? And so they say, well, what's the deal? We've been working out here in this heat, and these slackers have only come and worked for about 10 minutes, if any at all. All of a sudden, they get the same thing. And so what's said to them? The landowner says, hey, look, didn't I give you exactly what I said I would? Take your money and go. Are you envious simply because I am generous? The first will be last, and the last will be first. This, Jesus says, is what the coming kingdom of God looks like. And i got to say that as I was thinking about this, it wasn't really easy for me to understand what do I say about how we build for God's kingdom based off of this particular parable. It's not the easiest to understand. 
And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, well, perhaps part of the issue is, in some ways, what this parable addresses is not always just how do you build for God's kingdom, but what are those things that inhibit us, that keep us from being able to build for God's coming kingdom? And then the more I looked at it, the more I realized that actually you could probably refine that question and make it even sharper, which is this. What are the things that inhibit seasoned Christians, seasoned workers, seasoned followers of Jesus to keep that? What are those things that inhibit us from building for God's kingdom? Those who have been out there all day long. I'm thinking about those who have followed Jesus for years. I'm thinking of elders, deacons, pastors, choir members, all of those who work hard. Are there certain things that we are even more tempted to do that keep God's kingdom from being built simply because of the fact that we have been working for Jesus for so long? Well, one of the things that seems to me that we see in this particular parable is the fact that they didn't like the long-term workers, the early risers. They didn't like the fact that the landowner surprised them. They didn't like the surprise. You see, they didn't like the fact that the landowner seemed unfair, illogical, couldn't be predicted. They would have been fine, you see, if they had received the denarius, and then those who had worked one hour would have received, let's say, one-twelfth of that denarius, whatever that may have been. They would have been fine with that. What they didn't like was that it didn't make sense to them. They didn't like the surprise of the landowner. And one of the things that I have noticed, at least in myself, and I would suggest in other more seasoned disciples, is that we become less excited about surprises from God. In fact, oftentimes we begin to think that we understand God more and more completely and we can predict who God is going to work with or work through and how exactly God is going to work Right? You begin to just think, oh, okay, I've got this thing figured out. So, for instance, when someone comes to the church and they're very, very excited, they're new, and they think, oh, we're so excited, we love this church, we love God. One of the things that I begin to do is I begin to set this clock, and I say, in about three months, we'll never see this person again. Because I've seen it. Why do I think that? Because I've seen it happen. People get super excited, and then whoosh, they're gone. And I think, oh, I've got you figured out. God won't use somebody like you. And then sure enough, as I think about this parable, I'm reminded of people who come guns blazing and they're excited and they're still here and they still work for God in amazing ways. And I realize God surprised me there. And one of the things that happens, I've seen this and you have probably felt it, is that the longer that a church is in a particular place, the fewer risks they want to take. And oftentimes the way in which God surprises us is when we are willing to take those risks, when we are willing to put ourselves out there because we think, you never know, God may work. Right? Well, I've seen it in our own life. I've talked about open houses that we have that we think, oh, these are going to fail. And how often in my own house with Megan, uh, how often we are surprised to see God work because we took those risks. I think about the food pantry that we have. Long ago when that food pantry started, people probably thought, well, we have no idea if this is going to work, right? And yet they've been surprised. I heard a quote this week that said something like, if you only do those things that you know will succeed, then you are going to miss out on an abundant amount of opportunities. And I want to suggest, if I can Christianize that, if we only do things that we know will succeed, we are going to miss out on an abundance of ways that God wants to surprise us by seeing us at work. 
And if you cannot remember the last time that God surprised you, I'm going to suggest you might be playing it too safe. You might be one of these early risers. Now, there's another thing, of course, that we see with these early risers, which, quite frankly, is not just for early risers, but it certainly does include them, which is the way in which they play the comparison game and how that kills their joy and their passion. Again, they would have been fine if they had received what they thought they were owed in comparison to the other ones. If the other ones who hadn't worked nearly as hard, again, would have only gotten a 12th, they would have been fine. But because of the fact that they knew And Jesus told this parable in a particular way, right? He could have said, okay, the first workers come and we will, you know, the early risers will give you a denarius. Now you go ahead. And they never would have known and they would have been fine, right? But Jesus told the parable in such a way that the early risers, the hard workers, those who had really been about the work for so long underneath the scorching heat, that they knew full well. And when they looked at those early risers or at those latecomers, those Johnny-come-latelys, they were angry. And how many times do we allow our comparisons with others to kill our joy and our passion? We talk about this quite a bit because, quite frankly, few of us are very good at not measuring our identity and how we are doing with simply those around us and how they are doing. Right, Megan and I have been taking this kind of Financial Peace University course that we, um, um, that we talked about that we're having here at ZPC on Wednesday nights. It's been great. And as, I, as, I, as, I, as, as we go through that course and as I think about some other things I've been reading, one of the things that's clear, right, and we know this, is that we really base how we're doing on how others are doing. And so oftentimes what that means is, well, these people are, you know, they're going on this vacation again. You know what? And I'm working pretty hard, so I should go on this vacation, right? And hey, look at them. They're not doing any more than I am. Why in the world should I not have that same car? And, and, and why in the world should I not have this or should I not have that? And so we begin to buy in order to keep up with that. Now, what we don't realize is that usually our neighbors are also going bankrupt because of the fact that they're putting everything on credit cards because they see what you're doing or they see what their other neighbor's doing. So we keep chasing after this dream that's really just an apparition. It's not even true. But we base our life based on how we're doing compared to everyone else. And see, one of the things that happens then is that, is that then you have, you have less money to actually give, to be generous. And again, one of the ways that we are oftentimes surprised by God is through our generosity. One of the times ways that we are full of joy is seeing God at work is when we see our generosity that it goes out and that changes people's lives. But remember again, because of your generosity, we were able to help a, a build, begin to build a retreat center in war-torn Syria, right? Now, if we're all maxed out on every credit card and if we've got every kind of refinance on our home, we can't be generous like that. We miss out on those surprises. But, you know, churches do this as well. We're, of course, always playing comparison games. I am in the Presbyterian church, as you know. I don't know why I said that. I think you guys know that. So one of the things, right, I meet with a lot of Presbyterians who tend to be more seasoned. Their churches have been around a while. And one of the things that we oftentimes talk about is and begrudge is, oh, this new church, it just came in. And all of a sudden, boom, it's growing. And so what do we do? Well, we say, well, they've kind of sold out the gospel, 
Or we say, oh, well, it's, we've got to do it just like that. And we become distracted from our own mission because we're so busy comparing ourselves to what everyone else is doing. Whereas if we would just say, hey, that's great. We're happy for you. How then can we continue in the omission that God has given to us? We would continue to have joy and excitement for this mission that we are on. Now, here's one of the things that happens. That is perhaps we are most prone for those of us, again, who are seasoned disciples. And that is, and it just happens naturally, which is the longer that you work for Jesus, the easier it is to begin to think that you are working for the gift of grace rather than working in response to the, uh, to the gift of grace. We talk about this a lot, but it's hard to really believe it. When you've been there and you have been working and you have been working and you have been working, you forget it. Don't the, the, the early risers forget it, right? I mean, they were promised a denarius. That's exactly what, what the landowner gave to them, right? And it wasn't even like it was their money to give. So rather than just being like, hey, God, you know, this landowner gave us this gift of work. We could have not worked. He gave us this gift. Rather than just being thankful, they thought that they were owed more because they had been such good workers. And when you are working for the church, I have seen it. I have said it or at least thought it, which is that I deserve a little bit more. Like God's going to be even happier. My mansion is going to be just to have a couple extra bedrooms. Make no mistake about it. So here's the interesting thing. What what does Jesus say that the landowner says at the end? Are you envious because I am generous? Now here's what we don't understand as English readers is that actually that's not what it says. It's actually an idiom that, 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 that Jesus uses here, a Greek idiom. And what that Greek idiom says is this, is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because I am good? good. What does that mean? Well, the eyes, of course, were understood to kind of be like the the window into the soul. And so what the landowner is saying, or what Jesus is saying to us in this, is the reality that oftentimes when other people receive good things, you begin to see deep into your eye, deep into your soul, what it really looks like based on how you respond to that good thing that happened to somebody else. So that when someone at work or someone in your neighborhood, when they receive a promotion or they get something new, do you think, what a gift from God? That's amazing they got that promotion. That's incredible they got that new car. That's, that's remarkable the way the Lord works there. When a church is booming next door, do we say, oh, look at how God's working. That's awesome. Or do we think, we work a lot harder than that person. That's ridiculous. Do we get angry when others receive good gifts? Because I am here to suggest to you that if we get angry when others receive good gifts, this says less about them and more about our own souls. I see you looking down. Is your eye evil because I am good? Are you envious because others are receiving gifts 
Because if you are, it's a good sign that you have forgotten that everything that you have and everything that you are is a gift. Now we could probably go on and on with the ways in which we inhibit. It's really coming down out there. The ways in which we inhibit. Don't worry, you guys can stay for the 1030 as well. The ways in which we inhibit God's coming kingdom. If you don't like this sermon, this, the, one, the, the next one's even better. If you, it can be so easy for us, I think, when it comes to parables, to ask this simple question. It's usually the question I think that I ask, that most folks ask, which is, where am I in that parable? Where am I in that parable? Who am I in this parable? Right? It just kind of happens. But in so doing, we perhaps miss out on what is most significant with these parables, which is not asking Who am I? Which character am I? It is asking, which character is God? Which character is Jesus in this particular parable? Because if we want to be shaped more like Jesus, we should probably be looking for who Jesus or who God is in the particular parable. And it may teach us something about how we build for God's kingdom. So let's look at this. Who is Jesus? Who is God? Well, clearly, it seems to me at least, it is the landowner. And commentators point out how important it is to realize that usually the landowner is not the one going out to find workers. It's usually a steward. He has somebody who does that. But, but the landowner himself goes out, which, of course, is this beautiful image of the fact that Jesus came to earth himself. Right? He didn't send somebody else. He came himself in order to be with us. And what do we find out about the landowner? What do we find out about Jesus in this parable? What we discover is this. Dale Bruner points out that Jesus is relentless when it comes to trying to find workers and the lost. He comes early. He comes at nine. He comes at noon. He comes at three. He comes at five. At about the latest you can come. And he looks for people that nobody else seems to want. And he finds them. And he says, come be a part of what it is that I am doing. One of the most critical things, and we mentioned this last week, one of the most critical components of building for God's kingdom is that we are a people who are constantly looking for and searching for the lost. That we are a people who are wondering to ourselves, who is not in relationship with Jesus? Whose relationship with Jesus is struggling? Who is coming through our doors that we don't know and may need to be able to have a witness to the love and the grace of Jesus? Christ. What did I say last week? Three parables. Remember this. I want you to hear this. If we are a church who is more concerned with the 99 sheep who are already here than with the one who is lost, we are sunk. If we are a church who loves the nine coins that we have and so we just keep counting them again and again and pay no attention to the coin that is lost, then we are not building for God's kingdom. If we are so comfortable with one another, all the elder brothers and sisters, why? Because we get them, we understand them, they make sense to us, they're hard workers, and we like them so much more than the one who is out there wasting his or her time and his or her money and are doing frivolous things, and in our eyes at least needs so much more grace than what we, the early risers, need, then we are in grave trouble. 
One of the biggest problems that early risers have is that they become complacent and passive. Today is St. Patrick's Day, right? Good. I'm wearing my green. Some of you are. Many of you are not. Now, I didn't even remember that this was going to be St. Patrick's Day, quite frankly, until sometime late in the week when a staff member said, hey, you know, Sunday's going to be St. Patrick's Day. And I said, oh, okay, that's great. I don't really care that much about St. Patrick's Day, quite frankly. But what I do care about, what I find interesting, is St. Patrick. Now, you probably know this already, or maybe you do, maybe you don't. You know, it's not really just about green beer when it comes to Patrick. Patrick, or as he was known by his friends, Patty Cakes, that's what they called him, they, um, he was raised in Northeast England. You can look it up. He was raised in Northeast England. And at the age of 16, he was abducted by Irish pirates. Which is really kind of funny in a particular way. Can you imagine an Irish pirate? I don't know how you would take him seriously, right? But it wasn't funny back then, apparently. They were like real pirates, right? And so you've got an Irish pirate... It's really, there's so many places you could go with that. So they have an Irish pirate, and he takes, they take him back to Ireland. And for several years, he is not treated well. He is a slave. Uh, one thing that does come out of it is he begins to understand the Irish well, and his faith begins to deepen. He has a vision one night, and the vision tells him to run to the water the next morning, and that that will be his freedom. And so the next morning, he runs to the water. There's a boat there. And he pays them, I don't know how he paid them, two or three boxes of Lucky Charms, who knows. But he paid them somehow. And he got on the ship, and so he went back home. And when he got back home to England there, he said, I want to I become a priest. And so he became a priest. And he stayed there for many years, and he served faithfully as a parish pastor or a priest. And then he had another vision when he was 48, which back in that time, in the 5th century, you were already beyond your life expectancy for a male. So think about someone in their 70s or 80s. Listen to me. You hear me? You think you're retired. No way. And it says, basically, it's a clarion call. Go back to Ireland. Go and, and be a missionary there. And so he says, okay. So he goes, and much to his surprise, perhaps, but certainly to the church's surprise, he was incredibly successful. He would go, and he would go, he and a group of people, he would always do it in community. They would go to the edge of a town, and, and, and they would begin to kind of, you know, they, they would go talk to the, the tribal leader at first and make sure it was okay for them to be there. And then they, they would begin to, in many different ways, share the message. Now, again, Patrick was genius because he, he knew the people, so he used things like, like nature. They had a great love for nature. So he used nature, of course, to tell them about God. I already said he used, he used um, art, art and, and, and he told stories because Irish folks love to tell stories. And, and, and he would sing songs and he would do poetry, all of these different ways. He was very creative. And he was incredibly successful. I mean, he planted, they think, probably around 700 churches while he was alive. And he ordained about 1,000 priests. And, 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 and the Celtic church, at least, at least for a while after uh, St. Patrick, even after his death, he died well into his 70s. Um, and they also had this great keenness on, on welcoming those and always were thinking about the lost. They weren't just thinking about the 99, they were thinking about the one. They weren't just thinking about the nine corners, they were thinking about the one. They weren't just thinking about the older brother, they were thinking about the younger brother. 
And so when someone would come to visit them, they had someone uh, called a porter, and he would welcome them. He'd be the first person there, and he would welcome, he'd bring them in, and he would begin to wash their feet because they traveled in the mud, and of course their feet were disgusting, and he washed their feet, and then they, they would listen to him, and they would pray with him, and if there were any needs that they had, they would begin to take care of them. They would do all of these things. This is what Patrick, St. Patrick kind of, St. Patty Cakes, this is what he did. Right? But now, of course, not everybody was happy with him. Many in the church were not happy with him. You see, a bishop was supposed to do two things, do administration and, and care for those who were already a part of the church. This hurt Patrick, but he didn't care. I mean, he kept going and he kept going out because he was determined because he knew if he was going to build for God's kingdom, he had to be worried about more than just those who were already here. And I love that story of St. Patrick, not just because it's St. Patrick's Day, but because of the fact that, of course, it emulates the landowner in a remarkable way. And it is a great reminder to us that we cannot become too content, too passive, especially those of us who have been around for a while, That we cannot forget that one of the major, most important things that we can do is to know that there are those around us who need to experience the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. So how are we doing at that? I mean, one of the things that we have done over the last few months, we've developed a team. I probably have told you this before. And they are kind of like our porters, if you will. And their assignment is to find people in them, around them who are new, who they, or at least who they don't recognize uh, already. They've, they've met a couple of new people who have been here for 15 or 20 years. And so, um, but that happens. But they're called to, to really look after for the visitors, right? And I think that that's wonderful. But here's what I want you to know. It's not enough. I have said this before, and I have a sneaking suspicion. When I've said it, you have thought, oh, yeah, this is for the person next to me. No, no, no. I want you to know this is for you. John, this is for you. This is especially for you, Kay. Mary Kay, Joe, Judy, Jim, even you. This is for you. Wake up. When you come here on Sunday morning, Are you ready for a surprise from God? And might a surprise be that you find someone who you do not know and you begin to talk to that person. I have seen the Lord work in pretty remarkable ways when you are simply open to having a conversation with someone you don't know. Maybe you are a gift to them. Maybe they are a gift to you. If you are a seasoned saint, which is everyone who has been here for more than a week, You have a call, and it is to seek after someone. And if you leave this church and you have not at least greeted well one person you do not know, then I think you should be somewhat disappointed when you leave. Or what about Noah's Ark? From time to time, there's a great question that's asked, which is, why do we have Noah's Ark? Is it, you know, is it, is, it, is it a ministry of ours? What exactly is a connection? And I think that's an important question. In fact, one that we should ask of every single ministry we have periodically. So here are my own thoughts, if you're curious. Thank you for asking. Here's, here's something that we, we know in our area. Again, I said this last week. Our area is booming. It is growing. Okay? When you have as many dual-income 
families as we have. Guess what the first thing families do when they have young children, when they move into our area? Guess what they look for? Yeah, daycare. You guys are good. I mean, I fed it to you, but you're good. Do you know how long our wait is here for infants, for our infant room? One year. There are people who are banging on our doors to get inside of our church building Monday through Friday. Do I think this is an incredible opportunity to build for God's kingdom? You bet your bottom dollar I do. But here's what I also know. We can't be passive about it. I'm telling you guys, I see this. I see it a lot here. Can I be honest? Well, great. They're here Monday through Friday. They'll get Jesus. Or hey, they they came through our doors to visit. That's great. Oh, we love that. Good for you. Someone else will talk to them. We have begun to work, though we have much more to do to try to figure out how do we engage more with Noah's Ark. We've begun to have a few kind of joint efforts that we do together. We have a board now that's really set to try to help one of the roles that they have is to try to help us to say, how can we connect more with those families that are coming in? It is an incredible opportunity. And if we fail to take hold of it, we are responsible for it. Or what about Great Banquet? I think Great Banquet's great. I also think it can easily become an excuse. We've reached out to the lost. We invited someone to Great Banquet. Great Banquet was never created to let you off the hook from going out and being a witness to the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And every one of our ministries, whether it's ZPC Men, whether it's the Second Half Adventurers, whether it's Home Group, whether it's the Mission Commission, a part of their role is to ask the question, how are we equipping our people to go out and to witness day in and day out to the grace and the love of Jesus Christ? Are we relentlessly wondering who it is who needs to experience Jesus? I'm here to say this. Has Jesus made a difference in your life? If not, then by no means just relax. But if Jesus has actually made a difference in your life, don't you think he wants to make a difference in someone else's life as well? And what are those opportunities that we may be missing? As we build for God's kingdom, sisters and brothers, I hope and pray That we will be somebody like this landowner, like Jesus Christ, like St. Patrick, who is relentless in wondering where, how can we cultivate? How can we create a place where people want to know more about Jesus? I'm not talking about going around and handing out tracts. I'm not talking about figuring out, I've said this before, but I, I have to always keep reminding people. I'm not talking about every single conversation. You have to figure out a way to insert Jesus into every conversation. But I am saying, how do you go out? Are you prayerfully saying, Lord, open up opportunities for me to be able to just simply say something about what Jesus means to me? We have to stop being passive 
and thinking, well, people will drive by. They see it's a church. They can come by if they want to. Or, well, they'll come in. Surely they'll hear a little bit about Jesus. This is really Jerry's job. How many of you think it's my job to keep people coming back here? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because 90% of you would raise it internally. You wouldn't do it externally. Thank you, Brent. It is all of our call. And the reason why I think this is so important is because I believe that we could genuinely make a difference in this community if we are a people who are committed to going out early, nine, noon, three, and five, and looking for those, especially perhaps those that nobody else is looking for, and to offer the gift of Jesus Christ. May that spark us to no longer be complacent or passive, but to be a people who are building for God's kingdom one person at a time. Let us pray. God, on this St. Patrick's Day, we come to you asking for your spirit, asking for you to spark within us a passion to follow you and a passion to share with others the difference that you make in our lives. May we be like the landowner. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand together.